Welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Sanditon Season 2. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. Keep up with us on TikTok and Instagram at The Pemberley. You can support us on Patreon and email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pemberley Podcast. This week, we're going to dive into Sanditon Season 2, Episode 3. Halfway through. It's gone by really fast, but it's also really short. <laughs> yeah, Six episodes, I mean, it's not very long. Yes, so it is much shorter, and they've really packed in everything into these episodes. I feel like these episodes are like booking for a long trip where you're just packing your entire wardrobe into yes. one suitcase. Yes. There's a lot going on. Before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching or listening to lately. I'll go first. I watched this really sweet movie on Netflix called I Used to Be Famous. It was a short film in 2015 that was adapted into this feature-length film. It is written and directed by Eddie Sternberg. It's about this former boy band star. He's like way past his prime. He was like this big deal, but luck has not been on his side. And so he's kind of like a street performer now. And he's trying to make it back like into the music scene and trying to get back into like just like any bar, any club who will take him. If you could compare his band to like a modern or a familiar band, do you have a comparison? NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, like name one of those. Like it's like literally like a a 90s hit boy band okay it would be like taking jc shazay as a street performer like trying to make it and reclaim his former glory and you're like yeah oh that's so sad (laughs) so he's trying to do that and not really having any luck his path intersects with this other young kid who like is on the street kind of like he has drumsticks and he's playing like on the bench like alongside him he's like kid i'm trying to make magic here like go away but he joins in and like they actually like have like a really great jam session and one of like the the shopkeepers who was like trying to make fun of him like actually records it she posts it and that video goes viral and they're like wow like this is such a great mashup like these two performers he actually starts to get some attention he's like oh great like maybe this is my chance with this kid but yeah if you're looking for something like sweet and nice to watch and uplifting i'd recommend that So my thing that I've been consuming lately, and I recommend everyone who's, you know, into our Jane Austen fandom, it's called Mrs. Wickham. It's written by Sarah Page, and the two main voice actors are Jesse Buckley as Lydia and Johnny Flynn as Wickham. And at first... I was kind of upset at this because I was like, we hate Wickham. We love Johnny. He's like my favorite nightly. It's an Audible original. So you do have to have Audible in order to listen to this, Mm. I think. It really is very good. It's funny. It's charming. It's also sad and serious at some points. And we basically pick up with the end of Pride and Prejudice. Lydia is married to Wickham. She's excited to be married. Oh my gosh, she got her handsome soldier. Yeah. And then he, you know, takes her up to Newcastle. She's away from her family for the very first time. And he's like, so I'm going to go to the bars and do whatever I want. Ugh. And then you can just stay here forever. And he like cheats on her. And like, you know, he's like, ter- he's terrible. We like, we hate him. And they turn it around. And I give a lot of credit to Johnny Flynn for this, for I being mean, so freaking charming. We really sympathize with Lydia that she 
she just mm. made this one mistake when she was 15 years old. And now yeah. she's stuck with this guy for the rest of her life. He's ruining her life. She's hundreds of miles away from her family. They're still kind of like distancing themselves from her because this was such a scandal. Right. And so we sort of cut to like a few years later where like she's a little older, a little more mature. And she's wow. like, screw this. I'm going to be Lydia Bennett again. I'm going to be me again. I'm going to take back what's mine. There's new characters and there's the old familiar favorites from our previous one. There's a very sort of hilarious moment between Lydia and Mr. Darcy. It's a really good audio play. I think it's really good. I think it should be a movie. It's called Mrs. Wickham. Again, as far as I know, you can only listen to it on Audible. Nice. Yeah. So let's dive into episode three. Previously on Sanditon, Charlotte has caught the eye of Colonel Lennox. Allison is very smitten with Captain Carter. Georgiana is now taking a liking to the artist Charles. So we have some love interest starting to blossom, if you will. The big scandal of the episode was that Clara, who was banished from the Denham household, is now returned. She is pregnant with Edward's child. We will see how that plays out. Let's start with the Haywoods and the Colburns. So Charlotte, I felt like she was starting to make a tiny bit of progress with Augusta, but Augusta's like reverted back to her old like angsty ways. I think so, Augusta has a long way to go. Yeah, she has a long way to go. She gets there and she's like, where's Leonora? And Augusta's like, that's your job. That's your problem. And she says it in French because she knows yes. Charlotte's not good at French. She's like, you're teaching me something that I already know better than you, which I'm like, yeah, fair point, but also stop being so awful all the time so charlotte goes looking for leo she runs into colburn who's like trying to tame a spooked horse which like she does in such a great way because she's like charlotte's good at everything Mm -hmm. then they yeah so they have (laughs) yeah except french (laughs) but they have like a tiny moment it's not really a moment but it's just it is it's a look It's a look because up until this point, all of their interactions are him yelling at her for not being a good enough governess. Why does Charlotte keep falling into these relationships where like men just yell at her? They're so critical of her. They're like, you suck at being a lady. You need to keep your opinions about being an independent woman to yourself. I know. I think Charlotte's a little bit learned her lesson like with Sydney. She would call him out in public. Mm -hmm. They would be out in the street. Yeah. And she'd be like, you're an awful person. And he'd be like, you're awful. <laughs> so now she's doing it like in the privacy of his study. <laughs> yeah. So she's just like on his turf in yes. his home. She's yelling at him in the privacy of his office. Yeah. Yeah. But he is trying to calm this spooked horse and then she does it. Charlotte's a horse girl. We've learned this now. <laughs> There's acres and acres of grounds that they need to search. I mean, it feels like there's only a couple of spots that Leo could possibly be, but they get caught in the rain. They're both emotional. It strikes me as curious that a man might take such care of his horse while taking pains to avoid his children. Augusta's not my child. She's all too aware of that. She thinks you consider her presence here an intolerable burden. Those were her exact words. Well, she spoke them in French, but yes. There is no man alive I admire as much as my father, and yet the girls hardly know you. Perhaps in time you'll come to realize that's for the best. 
they do find her. She was like up in a tree somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, great, you found her. Keep doing your job. Like, He's frustrating but he does care and it is worth noting that he's very cute (laughs) i just wanted everyone because we this is a podcast they don't know i really see him as this mr rochester character Mm. like we're this is not jane austen but we're bringing in more classic literature where it's jane Eyre meets the sound of music yeah (laughs) and that's what we that's what's happening that's literally what's happening here Hopefully he's not as bad as Mr. Rochester and doesn't have the wife locked away. It's very Captain Von Trapp where he's yes. like, no music, no fun, no eye contact. We don't do that here. Yeah. Because you yes. just do it. The next day, like Charlotte is having tea with the children. This is where we find out that Leo and Augusta's moms were twins. Um, and we find out like, just like all the tragedy that they've been through. And so like we're getting a little more understanding of like why they are the way they are and So Charlotte does have like that empathy for both of them. Colburn stops by and and they're like, come join us, come join us for tea. And you know, Charlotte's like, yes, come join us. Bond with the children. (laughs) Augusta has no expectation he'll stay, but he does stay. That's like a nice surprise for them that he's actually like not just locked away in his study. He's actually gonna participate with the children, which is a nice change of pace yeah time gets away from them like charlotte stays much longer than she meant to because she needs to go off to the big sanditon fair that she needs to go help with i really love the scene because charlotte leaves she's going off and they all look after her like oh we miss you already yeah (laughs) charlotte is starting to make her mark on this family and then we have our little love triangle with yeah. Allison and Carter and Frazier. So you and I talked about this, I believe, off mic. It took us a beat to really tell the difference between these three officers. Carter just looks so much younger. I, I know who he is. Okay. Frazier, they have like a very slight, maybe they should have made it more pronounced for on camera, but like he does have a scar on his face. It's just like a line there. Mm-hmm. So maybe they just didn't want to make him look like too rough or anything, but he has a scar on his face. Colonel Lennox just has like blue eyes. So that's how I distinguish them. That's good. I was just sort of like, Oh, and they're all wearing the same thing. I, <laughs> I was struggling a little more and I, I feel like I've got it at this point. So it goes, Carter is the young guy that Allison is just madly in love with. He likes her too, but he's kind of stupid and he doesn't know, po- he's like, she's so worldly and learned and loves poetry and I don't know any of that stuff. Fraser, can you help me? Yeah. It's a little, we're having like a little bit of a Cyrano situation here. Yes. You know, Allison's also giving Carter like such the benefit of the doubt. She's yeah. Like, no, you're so smart. It doesn't matter that you don't know anything. Well, no, like they're talking about poetry and she's like, oh, but you know that too, right? And he's like, yeah, of course I know that. You beat me to it. I was going to say the exact same thing. (laughs) So she's filling in a lot of gaps for him. (laughs) She is. And she doesn't know it. It's like a young love thing where she doesn't realize that he's so stupid because she likes him so much. (laughs) Yes. I mean, her biggest ambitions in coming to Sanditon were like, I'm going to meet someone. I'm going to fall in love. I'm going to get married. And like, kind of like the first person she laid eyes on is like the first love. And so she's like, I did it. This is it. Like, I got to hold on to this. So she's only seeing, like, the good. She's not trying to, like, see any flaws. She doesn't see any flaws. Nope. She's like, this is going great. Like, I'm basically married. We have the rugged, scarred, actually smart Frasier, who's also kind of sort of in love with her. So Allison is picking flowers to make a flower crown for the fair. Yeah. And she runs into Frasier, who is also picking flowers. very cute. Yes. 
we later find out he was picking flowers for Captain Lennox to gift to Charlotte. <laughs> Colonel Lennox was out having one of the soldiers do one of his tasks for him. But a very, I'm like, ooh, power. But then once again, just like her sister before her, caught in the rain. Fraser is clearly very smitten with Allison. Yeah. And she doesn't care, doesn't see it, doesn't notice it, nothing. Right. Allison is really just like trying to pull information out of out of Carter to be like, so what are your hopes and dreams? Or like, what struggles have you gone through? He's like, uh, it was kind of cold yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Being in the militia, like she's like, so what What have you seen? Like what's gone yeah. on? He talks about this one particular battle and he's like, oh, and it was so tough. And like, I had to do like this rescue. And she's like, oh my goodness, like you must be so scarred from that and that whole experience. And like, when Allison is picking flowers and she runs into Fraser, she's like, oh, and he mentioned like this big heroic thing he did. And Fraser's like, huh, interesting that he would mention that kind of event. And he just kind of keeps it to himself. He holds it in. Later, Fraser yeah. calls out Carter for his lies because he's like, you must have been pretty young to have been at that particular event. You would not have been in the militia yet. Well, and something that we, I think, didn't talk about is, you know, in the beginning, Carter is like, please, Frasier, you're good with women. You're smart. Like, what do I say to her? I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm like a blabbering idiot around her. And he gives him his diary or his journal, his notebook, whatever. And he's like, there should, that's from my brain. There should be some smart stuff yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he literally just like steals the stories and passes them off as his own. So while Fraser was okay with going along with this ruse at first, I feel like now he's like, wait, no, I'm interested in Allison. She's like a really great girl and I'm helping my buddy get with a girl I'm now interested in. Like, wait, th and these are like my words. These are my stories. So really... She's falling for me, not him. So I think he's like realizing, wait, if he is going to try to deceive this young woman, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to be part of this scheme. So that's why he calls him out. We'll go on and, and see how that plays out. I feel like each episode has a big tentpole event that we're getting ready for. Yes. And in that case, in this case, it's the fair. And Tom Parker is over the moon because he has secured, again, like, I, I always, like, think he's getting better with money, and then he's just not. He just spends money to make money. Yeah. And the big attraction that he thinks he has secured for this event is an elephant. And I guess I just forget that people just, like, live their lives and never saw elephants. Elephants came from, like, India and other parts of Asia. Like, you had to walk them across Europe. It was a big spectacle. Very big spectacle. And so everyone They had, like, posters pointed yeah. out. They had posters. All over the county, he said. He's like, tell everyone there's going to be an elephant at Tom Parker's Fair. I think what happens is someone else bid higher yes, for the elephant. Like another town was like, no, we want the elephant. We want the elephant <laughs> for our fair. And so it gets stolen Tom is like, I told everyone, everyone knows, everyone's expecting an elephant. What do we get instead? Bless his heart, you know, in this episode, Arthur's really struggling to feel useful, I think. Yeah. You know, Sydney was just like so charismatic and handsome and everyone like was drawn to him in a way yeah. that they are just not drawn to Arthur. And he's like, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to find the next best thing. So he finds like a really tall horse and he's like, it's pretty big, right? 
However, Colonel Lennox comes through actually, and he's like, I don't have an animal, but I do have an object. And it turns out to be a hot air balloon. But it was very interesting to me that apparently they use this to learn their enemy's position, which I'm like, yeah. that's a really big, colorful balloon yes, that you yes. just put into this. Like, it, I, it's pretty safe to say if you can see them, they also can be seeing you. I'm curious to know if anyone won any wars with this thing, but. That is the new spectacle. And it almost goes terribly wrong. So like Tom's like, everyone step on in, like come on in. Like here's a big observation balloon. Like anyone can go up and no one wants to because they're like, um, you mean I'm going to be up in the air? Like what's that about? People Uh, didn't leave the ground. No. (laughs) (laughs) They Um, just, you were born on the ground and then you stayed there. there. And if you were lucky, you went on a boat. And that's as crazy as it got. Um, So Charlotte is like, I'll go on the I'll go on the balloon like I'll go and Colonel Lennox accompanies her but he's also afraid of heights but he's like but I'll be with Charlotte so perk <laughs> so. have have you seen I think it was 2005, the 2005 movie Casanova. Maybe, but years ago. I mean it's been years, but I feel like ever since that movie I was like hot air balloons very romantic <laughs> because it's Heath Ledger, Sienna Miller oh. and he's like He's basically putting her in the basket to go up with her to, like, reveal that he's been lying about his identity. But he's, like, he's it's so romantic. He's, like, I'm in love with you, Francesca. I'm going to take you one step closer to heaven. It's, like, oh, very wow. romantic. And so I was thinking about that the whole time they were in there. I was, like, you're one step closer to heaven. <laughs> and you're, like, in this tiny space. And, like, he's afraid of heights, too. So, like, yes. they go up together and she's, like, oh, wow, I can see my house from here. And he's, like, so now is the time to tell you I don't like heights even yes. a little bit. And so I'm really terrified right now. <laughs> Have you been in a hot air balloon? Never. Have you? No, I haven't either. I'd be willing to. I know. It's one of those things that like, I know where it is. And you you just have to go very early. I think I would be willing to go one day if it were convenient for me. Yeah. Like if I were in the same city as a hot air balloon situation, <laughs> I would do it. Right now, I think at this particular time in my life, I'd have to go very far away. Yeah. Very early in the morning. And I just don't care that much right now. But for these people, it's convenient. It, yeah, it's there. It's right I, I think there. this is better than an elephant, honestly. It is. I think so. I mean, it proves to be a very fun thing. I mean, it's almost not a good thing because the soldiers, like, lose the grip on the balloon and, like, they almost go flying off. And I'm like, if they lost it, they just keep floating up. That's it. Like, they're gone. That's They're done. Yeah, the thing keeping them anchored is this, like, line of grown men hoisting them down. This is actually where Arthur steps in and saves the day because they lose it. They're an incompetent militia. Yes. And he's somehow heavy enough that he steps on the rope and keeps them centered. And they're like, well done, Arthur. You saved the day. Yeah. So So that was a really nice moment for him. Yeah. So despite watching two people almost like fly away, everyone's like, me next, me next. So it worked. It worked. I think it was definitely this thing of like, well, if a young 20 something year old girl can do it and it goes wrong and she's fine, I can do it. Yeah. And even Georgiana looks at it and she's like, no, thanks. I was born on the ground. I'll die on the ground. I don't need to put myself in these situations. Yes. (laughs) Everyone's kind of enjoying the fair, enjoying the spectacle. This is now when we get more information about why Colonel Lennox doesn't like Colburn. And it kind of feels like a Wickham plot. Some years ago, there was a young lady who meant a very great deal to me. She had a fierce, bright spirit, not unlike your own. 
Her name was Lucy. His wife? Colbin stole her from me, Miss Hayward. And then, for reasons I do not comprehend, he destroyed her. So, Lucy is Leo's mother, who we yeah. know, like, she passed away when Leo was very young. Colonel Lennox still is holding this grudge against Colburn because he's like, that was the woman I was in love with. That was a woman I was going to marry, and he took her away. So, Charlotte doesn't know his side of the story. No. And I feel like she is someone who's very fair. Yeah. She's not just listening to this and being like, ugh. Colburn's the worst. We hate him. Yeah. I think she's she knows him enough to be like, that can't be the whole thing. I think Lizzie should have thought that when Wickham was like, yeah, Darcy's dad just loved me so much better. It's crazy, right? Well, the difference is that Lizzie didn't know Darcy. She didn't. And she was, she'd like already hated him. Yeah. And she, so she was like, ugh, we hate him. She hated him and she was looking for stories to affirm like why she should hate him, which like the Wickham story fed into that. She was like, oh, great. See, I knew it. This proves my theory. He's the worst. Yep. And for Charlotte, she's like, wait, no, I've, I've seen good parts of Colburn. So there is goodness there. So this conflicts with like what I've seen. I don't see how this could be true, but she's like, okay information i now have he actually gave us less to work with because he stole her what does that mean what does it really mean when someone who was whatever engaged dating someone goes off and dates marries engages themselves with someone else like it sounds like there was a part of her that wanted this guy more than you and we don't know why and maybe that there's a whole shady layer there but i hear you that's something where i'm like maybe if we could hear lucy's pov on this i'd like to hear it but also and destroyed her that's this that's what a thing. is that i mean he married her so it's not like it was a total lydia situation destroyed her like how he's destroying his daughter and his niece by just being like you stay in your place over there and i'm gonna be in the office doing officey things Right. Like if he said ruined, we'd be like, okay, I get what happened and they had to get married and therefore, okay. Did he like destroy her spirit? Like what happened? Yeah. Like he didn't give us a lot of information. He didn't give us any information. He didn't give us anything. We just know, okay, now we know why Colonel Lennox doesn't like Colburn. So we should be wary of Colburn, but like I don't fully buy Colonel Lennox because again, the militia is, they're just like amounting all this credit on the town. They haven't paid anything. So like we don't know what's going on like with them either. They're clearly not honorable people what's going on there we don't know yet this is all going on at the fair let's check in briefly with the denims because this is a very eventful episode for the denims yes as we all know clara has arrived nine months pregnant about to pop lady denim and esther were like well if this is edward's baby how come edward doesn't know how come you didn't try and write to him how come you're coming to us and not him and she's like oh i tried i wrote him so many letters begging him for help and they have all gone unanswered edward is here in town why don't we just bring him in here and ask him what he has to say for himself and she's like He's here. Yeah. And we're like, Esther's like, like, you don't know. Yeah. You know, she's she's not ready to trust anyone. And no. I don't blame her. Clara tells us that she has written to you repeatedly, asking you to accept your responsibilities as a child's father. Father. But her entreaties have been ignored. How do you plead? You cannot think I'm responsible for Miss Brereton's condition. It is nine months exactly since the night we burned the will. And who knows how many men you've been acquainted with since. <sighs> Edward. Why have you not answered my letters? Because I never received any. My dear aunt, you must see this for what it is. Merely an attempt to extort money from our family. Miss Brereton has has compromised herself and now she's looking to me as scapegoat. 
He does that thing guilty men do when he's like, who knows how many men you've been with since. And she's like, well, that aside, I was with you nine months ago. Right. So it is yours. But like, even if you don't believe me, you can't deny that we were together and there's a chance that it's yours. Yeah. And at first he sees this as a really huge burden because he's like, shoot, like she's bringing down all the hard work that I've done to look like I've reformed myself over the last nine months. Now I have this baby allegedly and he's not a reformed man. We see him take a letter from Lady Denham's entryway table addressed to Esther. Maybe it's from her husband. We don't know. So then Edward goes out and he sees Claire. He's like, what's your deal? What's the scheme? What's the plan? Like, whatever it is, it's not going to work. And she's like, I'm done with you. Like, I didn't know you were going to be here. I have my own scheme. Like, we're not in this together anymore. So good luck to you because like my child will likely be richer than you'll ever be. So her schemes are beyond him. Clara just seemed so unassuming and so innocent last season but clearly she was the true mastermind at work through all of this so she's like 10 steps ahead of everyone right now we don't fully see what she's trying to do so we're Mm. gonna see that play out esther needs medical care because she's gone to see mrs potter the midwife who's like just giving her a bunch of herbs to drink and things to take in her tea and her intestines are inflamed so she's done too much to try to like remedy her situation so she's really hurting herself more it's not like she's now improving her chances uh, about getting pregnant no i think she's actually hurting herself and i think she's like desperate to try anything and i don't think she really values her life she's like listen it's either have a child or i'm done like that's it I feel like these are very extreme self-esteem issues that she's going through because at first she just didn't think she was worthy of love. Now it's like, it's still not about her husband's affection for her. It's about he expects a son, so I'm going to give it to him. I do hope it's going to be one of those things where like, they have a conversation. He's like, stop hurting yourself. We don't need to have a child. Like, I don't need an heir. Like, I want you. Yeah. So if that doesn't happen. (laughs) I'm going to like start a riot if yes, that doesn't happen basically if he's like he's out of the picture he's gone this season yes. like on business or whatever so we don't get his charm that we all fell in love with but i just feel like that's who he is but here's the real thing that's at play here esther is a woman in desperate want and need of a child clara is a woman who is about to have a child that she cannot care for Ooh. so i think yada 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 their relationship but i think that things are coming together here she goes into labor like this fully happens where things are becoming unraveled and then the water breaks and clara begs esther to stay with her as she gives birth call the doctor because she can't do it alone which i gotta say she's so lying and scheming but this is very scary and i actually believe that she thinks she can't do it alone so she gives birth It turns out to be a little boy. Like, it's a healthy baby boy. It's a scary birth. We sort of see them the next day. Esther is like, she's holding the baby and she's checking herself out in the mirror. Like, how do I look with this baby? Yeah. We're already getting hints of Clara just not being interested in being a mother. For example, the baby starts to get a little fussy and Esther's like, he needs his mother. And she's like, later. I mean, part two of her scheme now comes into play. It's like, she's gonna need to lean on the goodwill of Lady Denim to be like, you're not gonna throw out a mother and her child, are you? Mm-hmm. And it was before it was like, you're not gonna throw out a, a poor pregnant woman, are you? And nope. so like, how far can she go? A big thing too is like, Lady Denim was like, 
go into the garden. Like, no one can see you. Like, she doesn't want anyone to know Claire is back in town. She doesn't want anyone to know the scandal that she could bring to the family. So I think, too, like, that's really what Clara has at play. Like, those are her cards right now. She's like, Lady Denim doesn't want a scandal. So if she doesn't want a scandal, she needs to, like, I don't know what well, her scheme could be. Clara needs money. Esther needs a baby. And Lady Denim needs this mess to go away. So, like, the math is mathing. The yes. stars are aligning. I just, I don't know who's going to bring it up. The conversation of, like, hey, how can we uh, buy your baby from you? Or I can I sell, you know, there, there's going to be, like, an arrangement here. And we don't have that conversation because we really just see Clara sort of disinterested in motherhood. That's kind of the extent that we see. So we're kind of wrapping up with Georgiana. You know, she and Arthur are having these like vibes with each other. But here, here's actually what I think. Arthur, kind of in love with Charles. Her, Georgiana, kind of also in love with Charles. I think yeah. they've got a weird little triangle of affection going on here, even though Charles is showing a very deliberate interest in Georgiana. Yes. So much so that, you know, she comes downstairs for breakfast one morning and Haskins is like, hey, someone left this thing for you outside. And she's like, oh, God, right. I've been expecting to hear from my father's lawyer only to find a portrait of herself, complete likeness. And she's like, okay. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. Just like that showing up at your door. Like right now, like someone knocking at your door, you see like a letter there. And it's just like this beautifully drawn portrait of you. And you know who it is too. Like right. no signature, no note necessary, you know? Yes. And it's actually, I actually think this is sort of a, a beautiful coming into herself episode for Georgiana. Yeah. Because she basically shows up at his house and she's like, how dare you? You just leave this serial killer sketching of me. I mean, she doesn't say that, but yes. she's thinking it. Uh, of me outside, you know, this is really inappropriate. It was an act of gross presumption to do so without my permission. Do I need permission to admire you, Miss Lamb? And if you're so grievously offended, then why are you here? What do you want from me? Isn't that obvious? I wish to know you better. That is how I see you. Doubtless it differs from how you see yourself. But maybe you could tell me how you'd like to be seen. It's a very deep emotional moment for her because she's like, shoot, he's asking the right questions. Mm. You know, she's not giving all of herself right now. She's like, I'm still getting to know you. I'm still wanting to like see what your deal is. So she's interested, but she's like also not like Allison, who's like going all in on one person. <laughs> no, she doesn't want to give up. She's very aware of the power that she has in yes. not saying yes to somebody. Yeah, yeah. And she wants to hold on to it. So she and Arthur have this bonding moment where they, they both sort of, you know, they talk about their fondness for Charles. But they also have a nice conversation about how they're both like, I feel like I've never felt seen and he makes me feel seen. Yeah. And so it kind of, you know, puts things in perspective for her and she marches back over to his artistic cottage. She stands there and she's like, you can paint my portrait as I see fit. You're going to do exactly as I say. You're going to paint me exactly as I see myself. If I like it, you may name your price. And if not, then I'm not paying for it. So that kind of concludes Georgiana's, her self-awareness of this episode. We end with Tom Parker and Edward Ugh. Denham. We're in the male gambling, smoking, drinking, loungy thingy. Yeah. And Lennox, once again, is just trying to coerce Tom into gambling. And he's like, 
oh, fine, you know. Or, like, because he goes there. So Tom goes to the gambling lounge with the attention of, you know, confronting him about the fact that the militia has not paid a dime for any of the stuff that they've racked up since they've gotten there. And then he's like, come on, my good friend, my buddy, gamble with me. And then he just is like, okay. Like, I'm I, sure I, it's a misunderstanding. I so wish that there would have been a moment where he, like, is about to throw the dice and is like, puts the cup down. So then you see, like, he's learned his lesson. He's learned the error of his ways. But no, he has not. He throws the dice. He's like fully back into his gambling mode. It's not only that I'm mad at him for gambling. It's that I'm mad at him for not confronting him. Like he just occasionally takes responsibility for the whole town. This is one of those times where he needs to be like, you guys have like taken a lot of stuff and you're not paying for it in yeah. true military fashion. <laughs> So you need to pay up like what's, you know, just at least get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And he didn't even try. Like he didn't no. even try. So Edward Denham is also in the room. You know, the sort of big thing is no one can know about Clara and her baby. No one. And so he's just kind of like in thinking mode. And who is it? Someone asks him like, hey. Was it Carter? Or- it was, it's, it's either Carter, Carter, or it's Frazier. Carter or Frazier. They're interchangeable. <laughs> it doesn't really matter because he's just like, my son was born today. And they're like, oh, like that's a good thing. Congratulations. Yeah. And he's like, I suppose it could be a good thing. And he's <laughs> like, like that's a weird thing to a say. a weird thing to say about like your new child. Yep. So that's pretty much where we end. Tom is kind of the worst. Edward's kind of the worst. Everyone, a lot of people are like bringing out their most terrible selves in this episode. They really are. I feel like Charlotte is the one with the least amount of drama, even though, yes, we have like the ominous thing about Colburn. Like we spent a lot of time talking about the Denims yeah. and like Edward in this episode they're back. because they're like the bulk of the drama and everything happening. Something's going to happen there where like Claire's going to pull everyone down with her. So yeah. that's yeah. really what I'm waiting for. I feel like a lot of questions were raised in this episode that hopefully we get answered next episode. We are halfway through, so they need to get answered very quickly. We're at the midpoint. That's crazy. That's so crazy. Stay tuned for next week, and hopefully all of our questions will be answered. That's not up to us, but (laughs) you can follow us along on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at The Pemberley. You can also check us out on Patreon at The Pemberley. You can send us an email at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Music